Nigerian government get the P&ID judgment overturned? Can the Nigerian government get the P&ID judgment overturned? That's the conversation that we're having right here on 99.3 Nigeria I, I, Nigeria Info. I was going to say Nigeria ID. <laughs> P&ID, P&ID. We've been hearing about this case for years, right? We've seen officials from this administration and the past administration trade blames about it. We've heard foreign companies wanting to seize Nigerian government assets because of it. It's a scandal of epic proportions. And here's today's big hard fact. A UK court has agreed to review the judgment that awarded PNID $10 billion from the Nigerian government for a failed gas processing project. Now let's be thanking God small small because we really cannot afford to pay $10 billion to PNID. That's almost 5 trillion naira. <laughs> but for a while there, it looked like we would have no choice. The arbitration panel in the UK said that we owed them for a failed gas contract and we had to pay up. But Mercy said no. And now we're back in court with a second chance to make a case against it. Now, what's this PNID case actually about? What are the facts? Is Nigeria truly liable or not? Most of the time, when the experts are talking about the case, they make it sound more complex than it should, right? So I said, nope, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. I'm going to drag two experts in here to talk to me about it so that Lagos can understand what exactly happened and decide what should happen next. My first guest is Fikayo Akeridolu. She's the head of growth for Steers Business. Welcome to Hard Facts, uh, Fikayo. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you for having me. My second guest is Ikemesit F. Young. He's the head of research for SBM Intelligence. Welcome back to Hard Facts, Ikemesit. Uh, good afternoon, Sandra. Nice to be back. Yes. Lagos, you are my third guest. I want to hear from you. What do you think <laughs> about the details of this PNID case? Uh, should this company have ever won the contract to even begin with? Did Nigeria handle its end of the bargain properly? How should we have handled the court proceedings, right? Was there a different way we could have done this? Are there things we could have done differently? How do you think all of this will end? Now, before I get to Lagos and before we talk about the latest of Updates. Uh, Fikayo, let me come to you. Can you yeah. explain what this PNID case is actually about? And is in as simple terms as possible. Yeah. What was the nature of the contract that sparked the whole wahala? Yeah. All right. Thank you. So, thank you for having me, Sandra. Um, so just to take it from the top, uh, PNID um, stands for Process and Industrial Development. Um, that's the name of the company. Hmm. Uh, to give it a context to this, um, so for decades, um, oil companies have simply fled gas uh, that escaped when they were trying to get crude oil from oil fields. Um, and obviously, that has resulted in an environmental and health crisis mm-hmm. in the Niger Delta. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2008, the Nigerian government decided it wanted to end this practice and start to capture and refine the gas uh, to produce electricity by gas-powered plants. Hmm. Um, what's very interesting about this this timeline is that at this point, a lot of major oil companies were actually very hesitant to be part of this deal with the government. Hmm. Um, but PMID, which is which is basically a shell company um, owned by two Irishmen who hmm. claim to have over 60 years of combined experience of project management in Nigeria, hmm. they took the deal. So come 2010, PMID and Nigeria get into a 20-year agreement mm-hmm. to build a gas processing facility 
um, that would refine wet gas generated from oil drilling mm. um, into lean gas that could then be used for electricity generation. Mm. The agreement, very interesting actually, was mm-hmm. PNID would refine the gas mm-hmm. and give it to the government for free. Mm-hmm. The company would then make its profit mm-hmm. by selling the byproducts uh, which is which is the natural gas liquids mm-hmm. on the international market. Mm-hmm. Um, the agreement also included the fact that the Nigerian government would supply the gas, the wet gas, mm-hmm. construct the pipeline, mm-hmm. um, and any other infrastructure required to get the gas to PNID's uh, processing facility. Mm. Um, that's kind of a broad overview. Where the real bad bush starts is that by mid twenty twelve. You know, almost two years later, mm-hmm. neither party, so mm-hmm. the government, Nigeria, nobody, PNID, nobody had done anything at all. Mm-hmm. But PNID claimed that they had already invested $40 million on preparatory engineering work. Mm-hmm. Um, they also claimed that they had secured but not purchased land from the Cross River government. Um, Cross River State government as specified in the agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as PNID was concerned, they had laid the groundwork and they had told NMPC that they were ready to go. But they got radio silence from NMPC. Um, so that's where, you know, it then became a, call it a global issue. A scandal. Um, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> wow, you've done a fantastic job breaking it down for us. Let me come to you, Kemesit, now. This gas processing contract is huge. How did a relatively small and unknown company like PNID win the bid? What of bigger companies that already work in that space, like international oil companies, Ikemesit? Uh, yeah, uh, so, so the thing with... Um the, the, the thing with gas processing in Nigeria is, um, just like Afikaya rightly pointed out, um, the IOCs, which you would ordinarily think would be the um, logical first mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. of this endeavor, um, have had decades right, of um, in interaction and dealings with the Nigerian government. Mm-hmm. And there were certain guarantees um, in terms of um, um, securing, a, a, um, securing businesses certainty around uh, their investments, which they weren't quite able to get from the government. I mean, they got the usual platitudes and, you know, rhetorical uh, commitments to um, the, the government um, keeping up its own side of the bargain, especially in terms of um, guaranteeing the smooth onboarding of um, gas transport and gas processing infrastructure. Um, and so the government found itself in this um um, unique cash 22 situation where the IOCs who already operate in the country were responsible for flaring um, um, much of Nigeria's gas, weren't interested in in creating an alternative infrastructure for that gas to be utilized properly and, and it having to meet its uh, international commitments with respect to ending gas flaring at this time. And, and even up until now, we were one of it. We were and still are one of the top gas flaring com- um, um, countries in the world. It's worth noting for um, for your listeners right mm-hmm. now to mm-hmm. state that the experts consider Nigeria to be a gas-rich province. In absolute terms, we have more gas than oil. But what has happened is that historically we you know, doubled down and overemphasized oil production to the detriment of this, you know, rich gas potential that we've had. 
right? Mm. Um, so where PNID found its space to be able to be relevant and be able to secure the, you know, the mammoth contract, you know, that it did, like you um, rightly pointed out, mm-hmm. was because there wasn't any appetite from anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. PNID was one of um, 13 um, relatively obscure, relatively small companies, you know, that were awarded, you know, projects of this kind um, all across Nigeria. And that was only really able to happen because, you know, they decided to play in a space where nobody really wanted to play. The second um, sort of text to your question um, was that one of the front, one of the promoters of PNID um, was this very um, wonderful gentleman called Michael Queen, who happened to be very um, politically connected. Um, according to um, the reporting by Sikayo's um, employer business, you know, Queen personally knew um, our first two democratically elected president, you know, um, 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 and Yaradwa. And, you know, he was able to sell them on the, um, on the idea that, you know, he and this um, obscure company, which, you know, has all of the, the looks, the feels, the sights, the sounds, and the hallmarks of a shell company, could provide an appropriate answer to, you know, the government's, um, 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 you know, gas bearing commitment. And so a combination of, you know, a combination of a large political appetite to get this done, um, and also a smooth um, political operator um, who was able to quickly set, you know, um, a corporate structure um, around the idea and secure um, financial commitments on behalf, on behalf of the federal government hmm. basically led to a situation where 10 years down the line, um, you and I are having this conversation for the benefit of Nigeria in order to educate ourselves as to how we got ourselves into a $10 billion P and ID themselves appear to have a track record of failed contracts, right? Yes. Here in Nigeria in 2001, <laughs> one of their founders, Michael Quinn, was accused of embezzling money for repairing uh, military vehicles. They also yeah. had some, uh, some issues with the EU about a failed steel processing contract in the 1990s. How yeah. did such a company end up getting this huge gas processing deal? Um, I think it, to, to sort of uh, come back on it, right? I think it just goes down to who the founders knew. Um, so I just want to clarify, I'm not a lawyer. Yes, of course. Um, I'm approaching <laughs> this as a researcher just trying to piece a timeline together. Yes. Um, so like I said earlier, Michael Quinn and Brendan Cahill, uh, they're the two founders, are both Irishmen, um, who claim to have over 60 years of combined experience in Nigeria. Hmm. Um, so in 2001, I think Quinn had his first brush with, I guess, Nigerian contract or failed contract, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he was involved in a failed contract to repair and upgrade, I think, 36 British Scorpion, British-made Scorpion tanks in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, he charged the Nigerian army for the parts and they were never delivered. Um, he was charged with espionage and handling secret military materials in 2006, uh, but that case was dropped. Um, there was also a case with an Air Force repair contract that was also taken to attribute, um, sorry, arbitration, hmm. um, and they ruled in Quinn's favor um, at the time. But the Air Force never paid up, um, and Quinn and his partner Brendan obviously were very upset. Mm-hmm. Um, they wrote to some of their business. Um, 
business partners at the time saying the moral of the story is <laughs> always have the seat of arbitration outside of Nigeria. <laughs> because I think a lot of people keep asking, why is this case being judged in London? And mm-hmm. I think this is one of the key parts um, of, of, of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, Cahill was, and Quinn, they were really good friends with, you know, um, I guess, political figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped them with being able to pitch PMID at the time mm-hmm. uh, to the government. Ah, I see. Now, um, one of the points that PNID raised in their case, and yes, let me also reiterate that my guests are not lawyers, they're researchers. Uh, one of the points PNID raised in their case was that they had already sunk $40 million into the yeah. project for feasibility studies, etc. But it turns out that that money was actually T.Y. Danjuma's. And they only served as consultants on that operation, meaning they were paid. How did they get away with claiming that they put the money in, in court? Fikayo. Yeah, I think what's very interesting, and just from trying to piece together the timeline, mm-hmm. the real issue here starts when, in 2012, when PNID begins arbitration against Nigeria, mm-hmm. but Nigeria doesn't respond until 2014. Mm-hmm. Because there's now a two-year gap mm-hmm. where nobody quite knows who was doing what, who was, you know. And I think that's where the problem really starts. Mm. Because it's who knew, who knew who got paid what, mm-hmm. who knew, you know, who was filing what documents where. Um, I think that's where the real problem is. Um, and I also think just from sort of looking through some of the documents that have come and have been published, is there, was, it, there was no transparency in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the Nigerian government is claiming that uh, um, they were given, they were not given enough notice. There was a couple of um, claims that were made. Mm-hmm. And I think that time lag is where the problem really starts. Uh, I, I'm curious what a chemistry thinks. Um, okay, so uh, uh, first of all, slight correction. I know uh, my day job is that... Um, uh, is managing a research team uh, mm. for a consultancy. Well, I'm actually a qualified lawyer. Oh, That's fantastic. <laughs> Great. So I'm going to ask you most of the court questions. So that's the first bit. And the second bit is, uh, um, it appears um, in hindsight that um, uh, Michael Queen um, and uh, and some of his um, other associates were very smooth operators. They had a lot of experience, mm. um, not just in Nigeria, but also in the European Union, mm-hmm. with um, acquiring political protection and political cover, okay. um, and using that as the linchpin for um, securing government contracts that, you know, um, whether intentionally or simply um, they didn't intend to, um, to, to execute. And so it doesn't surprise me um, that um, um, they were in a situation where, I mean, it's it stands to reason that um, um, if if you have close relationships with two, right, not one, but two uh, uh, presidents, and then there were other political operators down the food chain that you'll be able to, you, you would have had extensive engagement with, right? And so it could very well be a situation, and it's actually pretty common legal practice um, for... Um, promoters to style themselves as consultants in arrangements where 
and in, in arrangement, contractual arrangements that require either the significant buy-in, right, or, or a significant performance of the contract by a government or a public authority type party, right, especially in the developing world where um, deals and contracts aren't as sacrosanct as they would be in the West, right, um, um, having styling yourself as a consultant essentially uh, essentially covers you in the sense that you're able to reap a lot of the benefits without having, you know, much of the responsibilities. And Sophia Naidu was able to put itself in this legal position where they were involved in the contract, they could claim technical expertise, they could say, you know, um, um, they were providing uh, um, technical assistance to the, to the government of these and claim um, compensation or remuneration on that limb, mm. right? And then when you actually look at, you know, the gist of the contract, mm-hmm. the government wasn't supposed to pay PNID directly. Mm-hmm. So what the government was supposed to do was to build the infrastructure to transport the West gas from, you know, already existing sites that, you know, um, companies and operators like the IOCs already had. Mm-hmm. So this gas processing facility in Cross River State, like Picayo pointed out, mm-hmm. and then turn that wet gas into dry gas or lean gas, right, as it's technically called, mm-hmm. that can be used to generate electricity. Now, PNID was supposed to provide that lean gas practically free right to the federal government so the federal government was, wasn't supposed to pay it directly um, but it was a proportional um, arrangement where uh, a certain portion was supposed to be provided to the federal government practically free and then the red PNID could sell on the international market hmm. you know more along the lines of what the LNG is doing and you know this is not me casting expressions of the LNG at all mm-hmm. yeah but I'm just I'm just describing how the contract was supposed to have been performed technically. Now, the challenge with the contract was that by mid-2012, which is where all the alarm bells at PNID metaphorically began mm-hmm. um, ringing, the federal government hadn't made an ounce of pipeline, hadn't done anything with respect to performing its own part of the agreement, right? And now PNID, having already been paid as consultants on one lead, and having you know, and, and also standing to gain from the contractual arrangement as a beneficiary, you know, was able to, despite, you know, um, despite being paid, you know, that, that amount of money, they were still able to claim, you know, um, contractual non-performance uh, uh, um, in the London uh, um, arbitration court. Mm. I see. Now, that leads me to ask about our government's response to this whole case, right? So, for example, PNID brought up the case in 2012 for arbitration, Mm -hmm. Fikayo, right? Government, like you said, did not respond until two years later. Right before President Jonathan left office, he agreed to an out-of-court settlement uh, for $850 million. Why did he agree to it rather than go to court? Sorry, I'm so sorry. I lost you there for a quick second. Okay, uh, what, what's the last thing you heard? Um, the President Jonathan agreed to, to a settlement, to a settlement uh, for $850 million, right? And I'm asking yes. why um, he agreed to do that rather than go to court. So, 
Um, I was watching this interview um, with um, the senior advocate, uh, Baba Tsudi Adibade, and the, he, I think he had read some of the documents and followed the case quite closely. So I'm just going to reiterate, or at least paraphrase what he said. Um, so at the time, his, the, the government at the time felt, look, we're leaving power. Um, we are better settle this now um, and not basically tarnish Nigeria's reputation uh, because, you know, cases like this, arbitration like this, it sticks, right? Regardless of whatever outcome comes out of it, um, your your reputation is affected as a country, as a company, and all of that. So the, the thought at the time was, look, let us settle this. Let us, you know, in the most amicable way possible, mm-hmm. basically, uh, and move forward. Um, and at this you know, that agreement was not accepted. Um, so when President Buhari's government came in, they decided instead to actually file dismissal suits in the UK and in Nigeria. Um, and then the London Tribunal explained that, you know, Lagos courts had no jurisdiction, mm. um, ignored the ruling. Uh, and then the London Tribunal then ruled that Nigeria was liable to pay damages um, and try to sort of calculate uh, what that amount should be. And I think it was in 2017, um, the amount of $9.6 billion, uh, was finally, or at least was, was um, awarded. Hmm. Um, in the spirit of random facts, um, the Financial Times estimates that that $9.6 billion is almost the um, amount the budget for hmm. the Nigerian Navy. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know who needs that information, but <laughs> that's how big... That's how <laughs> big that money is. <laughs> My God. <laughs> My God. Ikemasita, I'll come to you because you're the lawyer in the conversation. So we went to court, yes. What was our defense? What case did we make, uh, you know, when President Buhari came in and withdrew the settlement and opted to go back to court? Okay, man. Um, so, so let me first and foremost, it, it was it was less um, um, the Buhari administration opting to go back to court and more the inertia um, that uh, that occurred between the four month period when um, the Goodluck Jonathan administration had mulled over the eight hundred million dollar settlement mm-hmm. and the amount of time it took for Buhari to first be sworn into office and then for sub- substantive uh, ministers um, who would have. Who would have um, who would have been competent enough to handle you know portfolios and issues of this nature uh, uh, to, to come into office? At the very least, that was the initial argument we made uh, at uh, at, the, at the tribunal, right, um, in London. Um, much later uh, uh, in 2015, there was an argument, of course, that the tribunal rejected because um, by that time we had spent five years dilly-dallying. We had spent two years dilly-dallying on the contract and three years dilly-dallying on the initial tribunal proceedings, including, right. um, like Pikayo said, um, um, also taking the matter to a Lagos court while um, he was still in London. So basically, what the government, when you get to the substance of the government's argument, the government's argument was twofold. First, um, um, PNID should have only been awarded nominal damages. That means they shouldn't have been compensated for lost future earnings. The, 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 the entire thinking... Um, thinking by our lawyers was that um, PNID was sitting to, was seeking to to profit inordinately from a situation where, granted, the government didn't do anything. Uh, yeah, but PNID didn't also uh, um, um, do anything, and you know that was that was really the crux of the government's argument. You know, you know, yes, Abuja absolutely didn't fulfill its own end of the bargain, but PNID was supposed to build a gas processing facility. They hadn't. Um, done that, right? And then secondly, you know, PNID had basically discounted by its behavior 
PNID has discounted um, um, its um, its investment right in in the entire contractual arrangement by uh, pursuing other uh, investment opportunities. The government technically had um, a point um, on on um, um, on the first issue, right? Because PNID actually, you know, hadn't built. Uh, uh, the gas facility, and so it was a bit rich on their part to come out, to turn around and claim that the government failed to fulfill its own side of the bargain mm. um, and prevented the country and prevented the company rather mm. from earning um, um, any form of profit uh, in the in the future. Because I mean, if the facility didn't exist, the basis for the entire business arrangement, right, um, was you know was was was, was practically tied. Right. What the tribunal insisted on, however, mm-hmm. uh, in its judgment, mm-hmm. um, was was that uh, there was no evidence that the PNID's failure to build the processing plant mm-hmm. arose out of any other reason other than the government's refusal to deliver its own end of the bargain. So basically, if the government had built the supporting infrastructure mm-hmm. to be able to transport the wet gas over to the gas processing facility, mm-hmm. and said facility did not exist, mm-hmm. then PNID's argument would have been there. Uh, would have have held water. All right. Uh, Hold that thought. I'm going to come back to you both. If you just joined the show, hello, you're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. We're talking about the P&ID case. We've been hearing about this case for years. We've seen officials from this administration and the past administration trade blames for it. And so what we're trying to do on the show today is help you make sense of all of it. I've got a lawyer who's also the head of research for SBM Intelligence on the show. His name is Ikemesit F. Young. I also have the head of growth for Steers Business, who's a researcher. Her name is Fikayo Akeredolu. And we are having quite a great conversation, if I do say so myself. <laughs> if you'd like to join the conversation, please share your thoughts with me via WhatsApp. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. Definitely give us a call. 0700-993-993-993. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra Ezekwesele. Hard, hard facts will be right back. This is This is a Nigeria Info Special Broadcast. This is not a special broadcast. Uh, uh, My tech guys have a new system they're installing, so they're trying to get it to work. Apologies for that soundbite that you just heard. You're listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekwesili. And Lagos, I have on the show with me Fikayo Akeridulu, who's the head of growth for Steers Business. You should, by the way, subscribe to Steers Business uh, um, publication. They've got amazing, amazing business articles that they're, they're constantly putting together. And if you want to learn more about how things work in Nigeria, you should definitely take a look at what they're doing. I also have Ikemesit F. Young, who is the head of research for SBM Intelligence. SBM Intelligence is an intelligence and data gathering organization. They're also doing amazing work. You should uh, look them up sometime. And we're talking about Nigeria's P&ID brouhaha. 
today's big hard fact was that a court, a UK court, has agreed to review the judgment that awarded PNID $10 billion from the Nigerian government for a failed gas processing project. Now, from the things you're hearing on the show today, you are you know, getting a clearer picture of how exactly this came to be and why exactly we should not be dealing with this to begin with. Now, let's take a few of your thoughts because some people have been calling the show since it began and we've got some messages on social media and... Um, uh, um, on WhatsApp as well. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. But I'll take one call, take one WhatsApp message and get right back into our conversation with Fikayo and Ikemesit. Our number is 0700-993-993-993. You can tweet at us at Nigeria Info FM and of course you can send your thoughts to us on Facebook, Nigeria. Info 99.3. Prince YS in Amor Duffing is on the show. Hello, Prince YS. Good you evening. Very, very welcome back, Sandra. <laughs> Thank you, Prince YS. Thank God for hearing your first once again. Yes. Yes. I want to say <laughs> those Nigeria collaborators that want to sow Nigeria to foreign company, are they really patriotic enough? And I want the federal government to do something for Nigeria. Fill them out, name all of them. They should face the consequences. Because $10 billion is taking a lot of our foreign staff. How much do you have? We are about to enter recession, and some people are doing this to their own country. And when you die, you go, go, go home without nothing. So I just want to appeal. In this country, if you fail, all of us, if we fail to tackle corruption, minimize corruption, I think nothing goes forward. So those who are involved who want to send Nigeria, you should feed them out and deal with them accordingly. Have a blessed day in your studio, my dear. Thank you, Prince Wyas, for calling us. Uh, we appreciate it. Okay. Uh, you can uh, tweet at us at Nigeria Info FM, like I said, and then, of course, share your thoughts by WhatsApp 080 959 75805. Um, let me come to you. We're hearing that we don't have to pay the award right away, right? Uh-huh. Why not? Yeah. Okay, uh, so so what, what has happened is um, um, even though uh, or, or, even though PNID has, 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 has been very successful uh, um, um, with, at the court in, in London all of this while uh, um, it's been a string of um, um, legal successes that has actually left a sovereign country mm. uh, um, in the shade. Nigeria has been granted the right of appeal, the right to appeal on a very limited, um, on, on very limited grounds, two very limited grounds actually. Um, but we have been asked in the interim to pay uh, $200 million as sort of like a, a, a commitment to, to, to to, to our continued participation in the legal proceedings, right? So, the the idea being that um, that sort of that that sort of legal commitments will ensure that we do not ignore the courts as we've been once to in the past. Now, typically uh, in law, once you've, once you've been granted the right of appeal for anything, and I mean, this doesn't only have to do with uh, you know international tribunal proceedings. This is also you know a, a cornerstone of domestic Nigerian law. Mm. Um, 
whatever judgment had been gotten at the lower level, mm-hmm. right, stays part, you know, execution is, you know, all intents and purposes frozen and suspended, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, and, you know, as for the duration for the duration of the appeal, because the appeal could go either way, right? And you know, if Nigeria is successful on appeal, mm-hmm. the amount could be very, from our perspective at SBM, we don't think that uh, that Nigeria will be able to wiggle itself um, out of not paying some some form of legal compensation, PNID. For us, it's not really a matter of if, but what the actual amount is, mm-hmm. you know, and that amount, you know, that amount could be very um, on a on, We've got Titilopke in Moe on the line. Hello, Titilopke. Thanks for calling. Hey, Sandra. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, I greet our two resource persons. In addition to what Ms. Faiz said, and I think the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice also should be blamed by the people because there's an issue of competence here. He delayed his actions so the point where it became a global embarrassment on the image of Nigeria. I don't think we should have allowed that kind of thing to happen. And I want to say here that we have had similar allegations, similar issues raised in the area of debt recovery, I mean, solely fund recovery, where some people have paid some money. The same Minister of Justice. And if you link this to some of these accusations made, though not yet substantiated by Margo, then you can see that sometimes when you have people who are not really competent now in office, is it not part of that corruption? You understand? Because some of these things involve technicalities. They need swift actions by somebody who is considered to be competent and you know qualified to handle such very sensitive positions. Why would I not? Well, what is going to happen? Then again, if you look at the Minister of Transportation, he had similar agreements with a Chinese company, and somebody who was not even known in Nigeria signed on behalf of Nigeria as a country. The federal minister was not there. The a senior officer or a director from the Minister of Transportation was not there. And we just heard a very strange name signed on behalf of Nigeria, trading off our sovereignty. So, all in all, I think the way the people who handle some of our affairs have conducted themselves in office is really sending a bad signals abroad. Already we have that dent, and everybody knows that Nigeria is corrupt, other countries who are corrupt, we have not really managed our reputation well simply because we sacrifice merit for mere politics and politicking. I can assure you, nobody's going to be taken to justice in Nigeria here. We only shout about it, and that will be the end of the day. <laughs> Thank you for calling me. Uh, let me come to you, uh, Fikaya. Um, this, why is the is a PNID paying our legal costs? Right? What evidence have we brought that caused these changes? Um, so what's quite interesting is obviously eventually when the Nigerian government responded, uh, we were able to sort of make a case um, in a London court challenging the arbitration award. Um, and um, earlier in September, I think, um, an English high court judge actually ruled that Nigeria had basically made a very strong case um, that the deal, the PNID deal, was basically procured by bribes. 
state to insiders um, as part of a larger scheme to defraud Nigeria. Mm. I'm literally quoting what the judge said, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not that's not my those are not my words. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the court basically granted Nigeria mm. um, more time to appeal mm-hmm. um, against the arbitration award, mm-hmm. and also granted Nigeria more time to investigate what is alleged fraud. Uh, basically, by PNIV and um, and some you know members of the Nigerian government at the time. Uh, what's quite interesting is PNIV. I think initially the Nigerian government was ordered to pay two hundred million dollars as basically a security or like a deposit. Basically, mm-hmm. um, PNIV was pushing to have that amount increased actually mm-hmm. to four hundred million. Um, mm-hmm. The judge, a, 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 a British High Court judge, rejected that request. And then ordered PNID hmm. to actually pay, I think, about seventy thousand pounds to Nigeria as part of, I guess, the process of investigating hmm. um, the alleged uh, the alleged fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody across the board, every Nigerian, was quite happy mm-hmm. uh, with that um, um, award because mm-hmm. uh, I remember the central bank actually put out a tweet <laughs> saying that Nigeria's uh, foreign exchange reserves was boosted by over 200 million mm-hmm. uh, when the court basically said not only would uh, Nigeria not have to pay an extra 200 million, PNID could release the you know the 200 million that had already been paid mm-hmm. um, as part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think the the reason why uh, PNID has to pay or at least was ordered to pay that 70,000 was because the English High Court judge felt there was a strong case to be made as far as fraud um, is concerned. Um, so I think the court is more focused on giving Nigeria time mm-hmm. um, to obviously investigate said fraud um, and basically have a full hearing um, of the of the of the alleged fraud so they can either you know overturn the award mm-hmm. or I guess um, make a new decision. I just want to quickly talk about um, I realize everyone that has called has talked about who's at fault who is to blame. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from a practicality standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, we've moved past, I mean, it's good to know who is to blame. Mm-hmm. It would be very good. But I think we've definitely moved past whose fault this is. Uh, we need to now come to the jump to action uh, step, I would say, because what PNID has done is in 2019, after the ruling was made, a U.S. hedge fund called VR Capital mm-hmm acquired a 25% stake in PNID. Mm-hmm. Now, VR Capital um, are one of the more aggressive funds okay. in the U.S. Okay. Um, I don't know how many of us know anything about Argentina, mm-hmm. uh, but Argentina had a situation a while ago where they owed a U.S. hedge fund called Elliott Capital, quite similar to VR Capital, mm-hmm. quite a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And this hedge fund went ahead and tried to seize the country's assets so they tried to seize a Navy ship belonging to Argentina that was parked in Ghana. Um, so my, the, I think the wider issue is looking, you know, preventing a situation where like VR Capital through PNID is able to do the same thing to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, U.S. Senate lobbying register. Um, so if you sort of look through who um, is lobbying through the U.S. Senate, shows that PNID has hired law firms and professional lobbyists mm. to help it get that money from Nigeria. Wow. 
right? So there's an, an almost aggressiveness, if you will. Um, and I think, yes, we have to find out what happened mm-hmm. and make sure, you know, it never happens again. Again, mm-hmm. The conversation is still very, whose fault is it? We need to move the conversation to... Okay, how do we not pay this money? Exactly. <laughs> because, I mean, you have this huge investment firm, VR Capital, buying a huge stake in PNID, bankrolling yeah. this suit. Basically, uh, they've got this new business model where these firms look for companies that have breach of contract cases with governments, fund okay. them in exchange for the award. We saw, you talked about Argentina, there's also Venezuela, remember? Exactly. You know? Exactly. And so, I, I, do you think that Nigeria is exposed to this type of attack with uh, other unfulfilled contracts? Yeah, I mean, the truth is, um, and, you know, these are all facts, is that not my opinion? <laughs> um, Nigeria does have a history of reneging on contracts. Mm. Uh, historically, it has been domestic contracts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, for me, simple sort of analysis mm-hmm. um, perspective, I'm, I'm almost pushed to say that I think Nigeria underestimated how far PNID would was, go. Was going to go, yeah. To get this money. Yeah. Um, I think there was a significant underestimation mm-hmm. there. Um, and obviously, we're now at a point where we're having to discuss this at the UN. Um, so, you know, it's, it's gone past a domestic matter. It's gone past um, play play. Yeah, no, this, this is officially a global bus group. It kind of sits. I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, do you think we've left us, ourselves exposed with, uh, you know, unfulfilled contracts? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, and, uh, and part, of it has, part of it has been that um, on the government, actually, you know, this, not just this government, successive you know, uh, uh, administrations. Uh, uh, yeah, administrations, like mm. administrations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I've been able to at least domestically get away with unfulfilled obligations. I mean, for Nigeria owns its JV partners, right, in the oil and gas sectors, billions of dollars mm. stretching back over uh, at least a decade, right? Mm-hmm. And part of what, part of the apprehension around. Um, um, petroleum sector reform with the PNIB, which only just got to the National Assembly mm. um, at the tail end of last month, um, flowing into this month, right? Is that it? You know, the government has been trying to arrogate more powers of of regulation and participation in the industry, and the IOCs are like, hey, look, with your with the current arrangements we have, you have not been fulfilling your obligations. This is not to say anything of. You know, the numerous vendors stretched across construction, procurement, and all the likes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who are saddled with unfulfilled government commitment. Mm-hmm. But that's the first bit. The second bit is that as a country, we're still aggressively signing agreements with uh, um, foreign companies uh, uh, for, for, for the execution of big ticket projects. You think the Mandela Power Project, you think Azura, you think. Um, um, you, you think the revitalization of the, the aluminium smelting company of Nigeria, which uh, um, which we are in the in the process of sewing up a deal mm-hmm. with, um, um, with 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 partners from from Russia, right? We live in a globalized world where foreign capital is constantly looking for places where it can mine value from. As an emerging market, 
Nigeria by default has a lot of upside in terms of growth and in terms of returns that a lot of these guys will not be able to find in their home countries mm. or in North America or in Western Europe. And this is increasingly in parts of East Asia. The challenge, though, is that when you have generations of governments and public officers and policymakers who are not used to keeping their own end of the bargain, who aren't used to following through on their commitments, it sends the wrong kind of message to potential foreign investors. And, I, and you know, like we, like I like to say when I get into conversations around, you know, Nigeria and foreign investment, our competition isn't necessarily Ghana or Kenya or, or some other African country, even though those are our competitions. And actually, a lot of them actually outperform us in terms of attracting FDI. Our competition is in Latin America, is in Southeast Asia, is in Central Asia, it's in Eastern Europe, right? Mm. Foreign capital would go where there's certainty and where it can get returns. The fact that we have cheated to emphasized in our messaging that, you know, what is huge country with great promise, mm-hmm. a young population, an upside in terms of human resource development and mm-hmm. infrastructure mm-hmm. isn't enough. Right? When we get down to the business of doing business, people want to sign contracts that you contracts that give them a reasonable expectation that things will get done. What P and ID has shown and, you know, the international PR that surrounded, you know, all of the court cases, right, as illustrated is that people are closely watching how Nigeria behaves, how Nigeria treats foreign investment. And if you're going to treat an obscure uh, a British Virgin Islands registered company, right, that had signed on to a big ticket project for the better part of the last 10 years this way, what makes... You know, what makes, you know, the foreign investors sitting down in London or in New York or in Paris or in Beijing think that they will be treated any differently? In the end, for us, that is the real object lesson of the PNID. It's not necessarily the fact that we're on the tap for $10 billion. That's important. Mm-hmm. But the longer term story is that Nigeria doesn't appear to treat foreign investment as seriously as many other countries are committed to doing and if that's the case we'll keep losing out on the foreign investment foreign you know attracting foreign capital gain and that won't help us because we need all hands including foreign hands on deck to ensure that some of the big issues that affect us as a country even at the most basic level Mm -hmm. are addressed that i think should be you know the top line lesson right from all of this. Hmm. Fikayo, I'll wrap up by asking what your prediction uh, about the out- outcome is. I think from from where I'm sitting mm-hmm. looking at this, from some of the, because I've basically gone on a spiral and read about every arbitration I could find. Okay. Um, I think <laughs> we will have to say something. Nigeria will have to say something. Um, I do not think it's going to be 10 billion. I think it will be significantly smaller. Um, But I do think, uh, because I was reading one of the judges wrote an article a while ago and it was talking about how people cannot be encouraged for reneging on deals. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think Nigeria might uh, be awarded some kind of penalty Mm -hmm. uh, just as a lesson (laughs) I guess to potential future offenders and even to us um, uh, and I do hope, I think from a Nigeria standpoint, mm-hmm. um, as a people, as a government, uh, we do better with reading the fine print. 
Um, and <laughs> just understand, like, understand what you're signing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think across the board. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do think we will have to pay something. Okay. Um, but I think that's just my own very personal opinion. I- Ikemesit, what, what, what's your own prediction uh, in one minute? Sikai uh, yeah, is absolutely right. We will be on the taps for something. We also think that it will be a lot lower. Uh, um, um, but, uh, but but we will have to pay and it will be saying something that we're falling into the hands of uh, a, a private equity capital uh, and potentially a shell company just because we ignored and underestimated them for so long. Hopefully, we don't underestimate them uh, uh, in this second phase okay. um, of the legal battle, but we'll definitely pay. Definitely pay. Fikayo Akeredolu is uh, the head of growth at Stairs Business. And Ikemesit Efyong is the head of research for SBM Intelligence. Thank you so much, two of you, for joining us on today's Hard Facts. Thank you. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, Lagos, you have heard all of that. It sounded pretty good, if I do say so myself. I love it when we have amazing uh, conversations on Nigeria Info. I really, really do. Um, I'd like to give you a chance to play just a minute. I'd like to give you a chance to win 10,000 air. But I'm pretty sure that a lot of you have things to say um, off of the conversation that we've just had this evening. So how about I take your calls instead and we have that conversation for the next two minutes because my tech guys are still working and so I cannot access, uh, you know, the file for just a minute just yet. 99.3, hello. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi. What's your name? Fine. Your name is Ifai. Ifai, he sounds like he doesn't want to talk about PNID. He wants to play just a minute. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll play <laughs> just a minute. All right, Ifai. Uh, Ifai, you have one minute and your time starts now. You have to answer at least um, four questions correctly, all right? Okay. When will President Buhari present his draft budget to the National Assembly? Which musician planned a protest march? Uh, which police official? Uh, which police official hosted an Instagram live with Nairamali today? Which union says it will continue its strike in spite of universities reopening? What's the name of the identity management technology the federal government uses for salary payment? In which state has the federal government and the UN launched a cash transfer program for COVID-19? Where? What's the, na- what's the name of the company that was awarded $10 billion against the federal government? Uh, the federal government awarded PNID a contract to do what? All right. Uh, congratulations. You are our winner for today. Stay on the line so that we can get your details. Lagos, uh, thank you for being a part of today's show. I'm handing you over right now to Yvonne for the news at six. When she's done, she'll hand you over to uh, Rufai for conversations with Rufai. I'm back tomorrow. It's Wednesday tomorrow. So the glass ceiling is back. We're going to talk about cooking tomorrow on the glass ceiling. 4 p.m. Make sure you're here when we have that conversation. I'm Sandra Ezekwes on all of my social media platforms SSZQuestily on social media so please let's talk on Twitter on Instagram, Facebook until tomorrow Lagos, those were your hard facts Good night. <laughs>